Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm joined by an experienced panel of tech leaders to discuss the intriguing topic, the journey to sea level. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we delve deeper into this, let's work our way around the room, make some general introductions. So what I'd like to know from each of you is who you are, what you do, and also your interests outside of work. So in no particular order, Cor. Uh Yeah, my name is uh, Cor Kjellstrom. I'm the CTO of Concordium. Uh, we're a layer one blockchain company, uh, which is providing a safer digital world. At least that's the mission we're on. So uh, a pretty big one. I've been with the company for about a year, uh, and um, I don't know, maybe I should should give like a like a brief overview of my my career as well, because it, it's it's a uh, super relevant for this particular topic here. Um, prior to joining uh, Concordium, I was at a, a stealth mode startup for a couple of years. Uh, I, I can't really say what that was because it's still in stealth mode, but I can say that it's a Silicon Valley startup that has uh, massive funding. I was running storage compute um, network and site reliability engineering teams there from Denmark during COVID across 15 time zones. Um, and I also launched an office here and one in Lithuania. Prior to that, I was at Uber for six years. I started as an engineer there and then uh, moved into management. Um, I kind of had had a, a management experience prior to Uber, but um, the the sort of deal was that it was a small team uh, here in, in Denmark that, that was being kicked off. And if I wanted in, I had to code again. So I, I decided actually to step back into coding from management and uh, and did that for a couple of years, then took on management at Uber again, and eventually ran uh, storage teams across uh, California, Denmark, Lithuania, um, and making it to director there. And and before that, uh, I had a, my own company for ten years, uh, which uh, which we I co-founded with a, a couple of of uh, like-minded souls back in two thousand and four. What we did uh, was we did we helped digitize the Danish public sector. So I worked for a lot of different public sector companies, um, and uh, and basically did everything from requirements to uh, prototypes to presenting to boards and and working with uh, a lot of healthcare actually back in those days we grew that company to some 35 people and then i left uber um, and prior to that i was in silicon valley for a number of years working as an engineer out of that i started my journey uh, on all of this actually um it, it by taking on a student job i had acquired in back in 1995 while, while i was still studying computer science and when i graduated in 1998 they offered me to become sort of a tech lead manager so i became a sort of a coding manager already in my first position and then after having been there for for a couple of years, I realized that um, it was probably a bit too early for me. I was 28, and I kind of wanted to to learn more about my my actual trade, which at that time I thought would be engineering, right? So, so I actually wanted to 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 be better at that. And then chance would have it that I uh, I got a call from my professor at the university, who basically asked me if I wanted to to learn uh, to 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 go to to California and work for startups there during the dot com uh, bubble. So I did that, and uh, it, it it was an interesting time from 2000 to 2002 because the dot com bubble burst, and uh, I basically literally worked my way through three companies that all failed. So a lot of a lot of interesting failures there. That coming back and and starting my own company uh, after a few years. So that's my that's my story, um, and we can dive into more of the details later. I was so tempted to to ask a couple of follow up questions. There. I think some of the points you were mentioning so related to the topic, but I don't want to start too quickly and then take away from the actual content of the episode but thomas tell us a little bit about yourself yeah hey, i'm thomas uh craig uh, uh, based in copenhagen as well um currently the cto at a, a digital agency called noah ignite i uh, started my career in the mid 90s as a developer um i think unlike core i quickly realized that that was not going to be my uh my 
my core competency. I just looked around me and saw people who were more talented and better at the at the, the hyper focus that's necessary. Um, and then I had sort of a bit of a I, I worked at an agency for a while as a developer, um, but this was the dot com days, so you could basically just take whatever job uh, was available. And I did some project management and some technical project management, some architecture. Um, eventually, got a small team. Similar story. I think I was a bit too young for that. Um, I actually checked out before the bubble burst, so I uh, went off to Africa as a volunteer, and then sort of started a, a nonprofit working in technology, uh, building wireless networks uh, around the world, um, working on web projects around the world to so Africa, South Asia. Um, then you know. Went, went and had kids and decided that traveling around uh, uh, Africa and South Asia was probably not going to uh, sit well with the family and went back to, to the agency side um, in, a, in a technical sort of lead role and then eventually became the CTO of what's now uh, Sapient. Um, and then uh, I actually did another switch uh, not too far uh, long ago when I went to Bang & Olufsen to be the director of e-commerce there, uh, specifically because I wanted to have some more commercial experience. I wanted to own a PNL as well, and not just own the technology. So I got that uh, experience, which was uh, has been super valuable in my leadership career moving forward. Um, privately, I you know live with my wife and two kids in in Copenhagen. Uh, I uh, uh, play sports, so I play the the global massive sport of uh, kayak polo, um, which is uh, throwing a ball around while paddling a kayak. Um, and uh, I enjoy you know uh, cooking, skiing, reading. Um, I'm also very recently uh, debuted as a poetry slammer, so I write poetry and uh, and perform it. Um, very new. Um, so yeah, I I think I do a lot of different. The kids are older now, so I can do more stuff. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's enough for me. I was going to say that's a long list of hobbies with kids. <laughs> <laughs> and Boycheck, if you'd like to give us an introduction, but before you do so, thank you very much for joining the episode. We had a late dropper and I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Sure, not not a problem. It's also my third time with you guys, so it's also a pleasure for, from my side. And my name is Wojciech Zak. I work at Phantom, which is a digital agency similar to, to NOAA, where, where, where Thomas works. I'm CTO there, and we offer digital marketing services and data and inside services also for e-commerce companies. So this is like kind of like where, where we where we overlap with Thomas. Uh, prior to that, I was working in other media, which is a big uh, publisher here in Denmark and in the Nordics, actually. Uh, over there, I was head of the data and analytics. And in that role, I worked very closely with a CTO there, which was, of course, kind of like taking the data, taking the insights, trying to make a use out of that in the publishing industry, but also digitalizing the publishing industry taking that to the next level in terms of trying to find out how in the dying print environment can we leverage and do and, and release digital products. And of course, when we talk about Denmark, we talk about 5 million people. So those are the same people you're going to target. Now you're going to just target them with a, with a different, um, with a different method. It used to be a, it used to be print magazine. Now it's going to be an app maybe with a podcast, maybe with a video, but something where does the same person reading and or, or listening or, or watching your content. So in that, I've worked a lot with IT because of course, digital products are, uh, are related to IT and IT in a house like other also required some changes. So I was part of the program where we were changing a lot around the, the IT house at our, and that's where I think I've gotten a lot of luggage in terms of how to manage that. So then it kind of really worked when I joined the agency uh, Quantum in trying to work with uh, complex issues at fairly immature digitally uh, clients. Then just before uh, Aller, I worked in another agency, IAH Nordic. I think they are very famous right now because they are proud to say that they are um, the best ones to analyze and activate data. And I went through the full shebang with them. I was there for two and a half years, but it was so intensive that I compared them to dog years. So like one year is actually seven years in terms of experience. Because over there, I work with all the big brands that are there in Denmark. With Arla, with Vestas, with Danfoss, with Rockwool, and a couple more. So uh, very quickly, I just got in, you know, I just became a serious man. And I'm just 32. So I'm also like my, my career 
in comparison to my um to to kind of the guys who, who spoke before me in the 90s i was i was in school you know so so uh so kind of like uh it's i'm the combat of course the the freshest addition to the sea level so also maybe nice uh to to be here of course the the experience isn't that big to shine as much but uh, also a great learning opportunity for me to to talk to you guys and privately I live in Copenhagen. I'm a kind of like a summer and sunny day person. So those days are, are there for me. I, of course, uh, enjoy water stuff like paddleboard and all that. Uh, I love basketball and I'm an NBA nerd. I think I'm, I'm becoming very nerdy in, in the NBA. Um, I do some music. I play guitar, play, do some beats from time to time. And of course, you know, enjoy just, just those little pleasures in life like we all do. I, I'm an NBA geek as well. All right, the Tita. Okay, Thomas, we got you know we got a, we got a team up. I guess. Good. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your introductions. Some nice little background on each one of you there. My initial question was going to be in regard to your background. So tell me a little bit about your journey into sea level. But I think we briefly covered it. I think that was something that we have covered in terms of some of the experiences you've had. So just making it a little bit more conversational and taking it back from some of the things that were mentioned there. I know that core. You mentioned you've been part of three failed organizations Thomas you mentioned you know you started as a manager and it was probably a little bit too young so one thing I'm going to ask is can you tell me about the one of the main failures you've had throughout your career and how you now take that into your everyday role some of the things that you've learned from it and I'll just leave it open to the floor I mean uh, I think um, I don't I I'm, I'm a kind of person who likes to forget failures and remember successes but I, I'll do my best um, I I mean I think as I said you know I became a, a manager too early it was in 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 the dot-com days, under super high pressure, we were we were working really hard. I don't think I really understood the responsibility uh, to the to the human side of the people I was managing. It was a small team, uh, and we were doing a lot of fun projects, but it it was uh, super intense. And I think, uh, in retrospect, I think I learned a lot about sort of uh, the responsibility you have to the people you manage. Uh, and then the sort of both negative and positive role you can play in their lives, uh, in a sense. So I think we, you know, um, and and I, and this has happened to me along the way. That's not the only time. So I've had the like I I, I I've had uh, people on the team sort of go down with stress because the the pressure was too intense, and ultimately because I failed to protect them because that's also my my job. Um, and I think that that's that's very humbling. Um, and something that, that in, in these types of environments, uh, I think we as, as, you know, sea level managers need to take seriously because it, it, it is, you know, uh, part of the responsibility. Those are probably some of the things that I've sort of really beaten myself up about that I wish I had done differently if I, uh, you know, to, to, to be blunt. Understanding yeah. people, I think great opportunity. And just to clarify on that, I mean, I've, I've coined it as a failure. Perhaps a better thing would be the greatest learning opportunity you've had. Perhaps, you know, I don't want to set it off on a pessimistic tone. <laughs> Something that you still utilize in today. I think I can, I can relate to what Thomas said before. It had, you know, when I got thrown into my first job, that was actually a, a digital marketing agency that that had been doing telemarketing prior to, uh, you know, discovering the internet back in 1995. And then they figured out that, hey, web pages was probably a good idea. And they went into e-commerce and and they needed someone to run the team, and I had been there as a student programmer. And when I graduated, they just hired me. Right, and um, I had at that time I had been um, at the same level as the people I now started managing. So my first sort of learning experience was that when that happens, uh, there's a lot of information you don't longer you, you get to you don't get any longer. Right, you basically you you cut out of the information flow that happens within the team, because now uh, instead of being you know that buddy, you're now that boss. Right, and so. They will not tell you everything. Um, that was a, that was a little bit uh, interesting. And then at the same time, I got into the C-suite. Uh, I was I was in the the weekly management meeting, uh, which was also interesting. So I got to learn a lot about sales and and started doing technical sales at the time. And I kind of disregarded a little bit of the people portion. So at some point where we um, we were sort of understaffed. We decided to go out and and disregard our, our usual recruiting procedures. We ended up hiring people that were not good for the company, and I kind of stuck around with them for too long. Um, basically, kept them around because I felt and I thought that maybe I could nurture them or coach them into to being uh, the engineers that I wanted them to be. 
And at the end of the day, it just didn't work. So we had to let go of three people that we hired that way. And, and that was humbling. I mean, I mean, hiring people is great. The worst thing a manager can get, go through is actually firing. Uh, it's, it feels like a personal defeat when that happens because typically you invest in people, right? You hire them because you believe they're great. And then when, when you, you get to the point where it, it's just blatantly clear that this doesn't work, um, then it, it feels like a personal failure. So I, I try to now not hire the wrong people. Uh, I try to sp I do my due diligence and rather say no uh, when I'm uncertain than, than uh, hiring someone that it then turns out is not a great fit. You know, it's very valuable uh, because that's something that I really see, especially the aspect where you have to think sometimes like a human, but also as the business, because now you represent the business, now you represent the company. So this is something also that I've seen before, both at Adder and right now at Phantom. It's what I see where sometimes the decision, like the, the soul wants to make a human decision, but the brain dictates to make the business decision. And sometimes that's not easy when you're looking at a person in the eye who then outside of work, where you meet at the bar or wherever, is, is your friend, right? But now you have to kind of represent the institution of the company. And this is, you know, kind of hard, I would say, but then it, of course, takes what to, to do it, right? So it just... Like we're there for a reason. Somebody trusted us because we have it in us to do it. So then it's more like, yep, this is how we go. But of course, I agree that this is sometimes the the hard aspect of it. Yeah. No, I think I, I think those were good points. I think I I, I would add to that that as as a certain level, I think when I started off, even even in my first year as a CTO, the there was a mental transition that came later in which I sort of transitioned from being seeing myself primarily as part of the engineering team to seeing myself primarily as part of the management team, which has been sort of an important, I think, maturity uh, transition in the sense that, that, that you know, uh, I clearly understand now that the, the part of me that represents the business and the strategy and, and the management team is the core thing I need to lean into. And my role as a leader for the engineers is important, but I cannot be that team member that 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 I you know in in the beginning when you transition to manager you want to be part of the team you want to be a team member and just you know you think well I'm just going to lead from inside it's not a problem you know uh, but that that I think is a, it, I mean it's doable but it it has uh, it has other costs so I think yeah, to, to sort of be able to sort of see the 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 overarching um uh, strategic targets and work work at that level you sort of need to lean into that management position as your primary uh, the team position i think that's that's true and i think like the the aspect of the cost here like the cost that you take for any of those because i also see from my now you know done also you guys have you've been doing this more than me so uh, you see it you just know it better but there is this cost of trying to i'm still gonna be the body i'm still gonna be the the member of the team but that's what you also said core i think where you you don't, just don't you, you're not treated in this because they just don't trust you on the same level. Because then you are in the talks where somebody's job is on the line. And that they know that they can tell you everything because you can just use it somewhere. So that's mm -hmm. kind of like where where there is this duality of the situation. No, no, that is that is absolutely true. And it, it is a challenge as a manager to, to be in that situation. That said, though, I also fully believe that creating a space of trust where people actually feel comfortable talking is essential to having a great team. If you cannot create that that space where people, I mean, people who have only recently joined are actually comfortable speaking up to people with 20, 30, 40 years of experience, uh, then you won't get the best out of people, right? So as a manager, even if if you might be cut a little out of what they talk about in the corners, um, if you create that space for trust, you can also get some candid feedback on what's going on, right? And if you challenge people and you show them that you actually care, that you protect them and that it's safe to talk and speak, well, then you can you can create very powerful and very um, high performing teams as well. So it's not all bad, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the psychological safety aspect of essentially creating accountability is super important because the job you know my job is also to challenge the engineering teams to be better and 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 as you said you know that's only doable if they feel in a safe space. I think or I mean doable, but it's only. It's only a productive uh, pressure if if they feel in a safe space, and you know you can sort of um, raise your hand and say, okay, that's enough responsibility for this Tuesday. You know, I'm 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 uh, I'm about full up, so that you can sort of put 
uh, push responsibility down, but know that people will raise their their hands and that there's not sort of a, 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 an uns- uncertainty about that. I think that's uh, that's that's super important. Um, yeah, I think I wanted to I wanted to echo Koa's points about you know the hiring process. You know, so some there's a some business guru I forget his name that says you know hire slow, fire fast, which which sounds American brutal, but is very is actually very human. In the sense that you know you have to take your time hiring, and once you know someone is not going to fit, you're not doing anyone any favor by by having them around. You 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 need to take that consequence, and that's never fun. But there's no you know dilly dallying doesn't help anyone, neither the person that eventually will get fired anyway, or the organization uh, or the business. Absolutely. I mean, if if you have the wrong per- per- person sitting on a team, everyone will know that this is this is not great, and they will be looking to you and 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 basically wondering why you're not doing something about it, right? If it's an engineer that that's underperforming, um, the others will know, uh, and and um, and then it's up to you to make sure that you you make the right decision. Uh, and of course, if it's a manager, it's even worse, like I said before, right? Because if you have a manager that's not performing, um, the, the whole team might suffer. You can also have someone who is actually a great engineer, but who is um, who's who's really not a great fit for the team because they are uh, they are not a team player, right? And then they might be actually hurting the team. So even in that case, you might actually want to let them go and keep people who might be less uh, technical but but better team players. Yeah, I, I think uh, I in some ways trust is more is actually more important than engineering capabilities. You know, you need people that other people on the team trust, and whether those are the best technical, I mean. There are obviously domains where you need the absolute best technical people, but in most cases, in the jobs I've worked in, that's not actually a, a necessarily a requirement. Um, and 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 having people that trust each other is is much more valuable to get an e- efficient team. Often, yeah, that's that's also what I see. Like hiring not skills but personalities. Hiring not for that somebody has you know whatever X years of experience using PHP or whatever other language. But has the 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 personality, the capability, the drive to get there within a reasonable time. So you know, might not have, might not be perfect, let's say skill wise. But is the team player is kind of like uh, fitting to everybody. Uh, is trusting, but it's also uh, reliable, right? So then you can just use them for for or like use the time that they're gonna be uh, on board or, or getting on boarded to. And just give them the opportunity to learn, to come up with with creativity. How would you solve those problems? Because I think that's where sometimes we, as I'm not talking about us, maybe the fields that we represent, but more like us managers, sometimes we are, when we do the job offers, we are kind of like seven years experience, 15 years experience, whatever, whatever. It means nothing really. Right, it means nothing. We can agree that this those are just numbers for for HR to filter people. Uh, the the truth is, when a person comes in and they are just opening up, say, "I can offer that to you. I don't have it right now, but I will have it, and we will we will have the the, the best time here together because I also can fit to your team. I also can uh, solve the the problems that you have. So this is kind of like where where this I think like our our approach or our uh, perception of this just just can be more flexible open up for for a bit more that this is personality that this is the drive this is the character not necessarily hardcore well-proven uh, conduct of i don't know x years of, of doing something and of course there are cases you know like uh that as you say car sometimes it's just too risky to to just have a blind stop in the dark and hire somebody for for a good talk but uh, Overall, yeah, this is kind of like them, but it, this is a spectrum, not a like a pinpoint scope, right? Yeah, absolutely. And just on that note, I mean, massive discussion on hiring, and I think some of the points made from the, from the American guru right through to the point you made at the end about hiring personalities. Core, I know that you had a question to post to the panel prior to the podcast, so I'd love to hear that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think um, one of the things that, that you need to to sort of curate uh, in any management uh, position, actually even not just in, as a manager, but but as anyone who who is uh, who's in an, an organization and and um, and working there, is sort of your relationships with with others, right? It becomes increasingly important that you uh, you you craft strong relationships, not just to your own people, but also to your peers and to those above you, uh, if you want to assert your influence, because sometimes. 
I mean, if you manage people, obviously you have a direct influence over them and you can, to some extent, dictate what they should do. That's never a great idea, like uh, what you put out in a minute ago. Uh, it's better to set goals and then let people figure it out, right? Much, much better because that'll motivate and that'll, that'll keep people engaged. But if you just dictate and say, hey, now we you have to do X, Y, C, they might do it reluctantly and, and suck. Um, so um, the, there is obviously the, the direct reports, but then there, there are your peers, people who are at the same level as you. And as you move up your management ladder, you will be having these other managers that manage other teams that do stuff. Um, and sometimes you'll have to work closely with them and you have to assert your influence uh, indirectly. Maybe help them out with stuff. Um, make sure that you understand what are common goals, what are the interfaces. And of course, managing upwards is the last thing, right? You have to basically also manage uh, your own manager in order to be effective. Yeah. And make sure that you know what your manager needs and give that information um, as they need it. Um, so um, I think my question here is, um, as, uh, as you're now in the role of the CTO, uh, who would you say are your sort of key internal stakeholders and, and uh, how do you manage that relationship? At this time, what is sort of your advice for effective relationship management? I mean, um, I, I think for me, it, it, it's something I touched upon earlier. It's it's sort of accepting that the management team is my primary team. This is where I need to be effective. This the, the those essentially challenges come first um, to a certain degree. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a team I need to lead, and I need to be there for them. But it is it is uh, it is super important for me that I lean into the management team and come into that room uh, with full focus, um, because those are a lot of the internal stakeholders. I think uh, then, I and that requires a certain level of understanding of the business that that you know I think sometimes relates to the probably the. I mean, I, again, I, I studied at business school, so so uh, computer science, but at business school, so for me, sort of understanding the business side the side was 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 uh, built in from the beginning. But I do think that there's there's some level at which really feeling. So you know, in the last years, I've purposefully tried to work, and I worked in a publicly listed company. I worked in a, a private equity funded company. I you know, I worked in different in, in different funding models to try and. Also, just get a picture of what that means to try and understand um, the, the the different ways you know investments are handled, and because I think at the end of the day, as the CTO, you're essentially you know asking for money and then trying to do something with it, and and understanding that flow and and where it comes from. It varies a little bit from company to company. Um, so so you know. Talking at board level has been important in previous jobs. In this job, I'm far removed from the board, so it doesn't matter. I, I need to, you know, talk to the CEO. Basically, it's a different, uh, it's a different uh, governance model. But I do think sort of really understanding where your budget comes from and and what uh, that what requirements that budget comes with is a, is a super central uh, stakeholder thing. So you know, getting close to the CFO, caring about. Uh, about the business side of things so that you can you can sort of frame your decisions also from that perspective as as one of many you know there's engineering uh, aspects to it but there are also uh, financial and business aspects to it so i think that's that's part of the answer at least um yeah i think you've mentioned a lot of, of what i wanted to talk about because of course like in the management team there's a lot of different dynamics and a lot of different agendas then uh, i would say in my example um the very similar thing is, of course, like, what can I do? So what am I allowed to do? What allows me to do it in terms of the budgets or capabilities or how much budget that I do I need to expand those capabilities? But then in um, another, I would say, side of that is actually the clients. And I would say this is like maybe not necessarily within the organization. It's outside of the organization, but kind of those people where I come and I, I get the budget from them. And this is the approach where it's not trying to get, you know, install some technology, get some tracking, get some whatever cloud solution, like a technology for the sake of the technology, but more for solving their problems. And this is where it comes that, that the trust that, that, that like this, this, this approach that is translated into more budget that they can invest in more, more, um, in more capabilities. So this is more like, like, like how, how the circle goes, but then another aspect is of course within the team. There is the CEO, then there is a client director, then there is somebody else. They all have like a different angle on what what are we doing today. 
So here, uh, my role is kind of dancing around and making everybody to understand what is it that I'm actually doing. So that bringing this very, sometimes even very simple to how to act, like just how to like talk about it in their own language. And it's a really nice example because we have a CLO who's not technical as me. And so then we had a, we had an issue where we just had to be very firm as a whole company. How are we going to go about it? So then the discussion turned into me just kind of drawing it on a whiteboard in so just to make a one sentence description that everybody understands is okay with and is able to communicate further. So sometimes that is also a challenge where we come from our technical bubble and we should abbreviations. We should all those like tool names, all those things that we have. And we just assume everybody knows it, which is not necessarily true. So sometimes you have to do the good Michael Scott explain like I'm five years old. But then it works because then people know what you're talking about and they are able to understand it their own way. They're, um, they're able to, to take it further, to take action, on it, which is also very important. So this is kind of like where I see the, the, the triangle of um, the client on the top, of course, because this is like, you know, I'm client facing, so uh, I do stuff for them. But then they come to my CEO who then controls me, but then I kind of like try to control him in, the, in, in return with different things, of course, right? Trying to give him more tools, trying to give him more guns in his ship to go and shine, to go and sell, to go and, and, and say, like, how can we deliver value to those clients? So it's more like like that. I think you're touching on an, on an interesting topic, which is how to communicate to different uh, groups of people. Right? Um, and I forgot to actually mention what I do in my private life. Uh, but I actually, sometimes I have a 10-year-old at home and... Um, uh, I am married, uh, so the the ten year old yesterday he asked me, so core, what is it exactly that your company does? Right, and when when you have to explain what a blockchain is to a ten year old, that's that's when you sort of really know if if, if you have your dogs lined up in a row. I don't know if I did a good job at it, but, but I did a, I did try. Um, so I'd say that, that that understanding that that you have to 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 basically be able to communicate to different groups definitely essential. And also figuring out how to do that so that you can you can cross your, your messaging. Um, I attended a fintech conference not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, in London, um, where I had to to speak about blockchain at a, at, to people who don't know what a blockchain is or are not techies, right? But you have to explain the business value from a financial perspective. So there you go into decentralized finance and start talking about the challenges in the existing banking system and things like that. And that's really their space, right? Um, if I only talk to uh, computer science students, it's a different talk, right? It's about all of the cool cryptography we're doing in the, the bottom of the blockchain and how you can come and learn some of the most uh, cool tech and, and build that in, in, uh, in various ways. So absolutely um, an essential thing. Yeah, some great points. And I think the initial question, one of the things that you mentioned was managing the expectations upward as well as managing the capabilities downward. And I think one thing I try and avoid on these podcasts is, you know, everybody being in agreement. So if I had to ask you to make a value judgment, which do you find easier, managing the expectations of your CEOs, of your clients, external stakeholders, or internally hiring correctly and managing the capabilities of the team below? I mean, uh, it, it, that's an easy answer for me. I've always been better at, at managing the team below. I've always been, you know, really focused on it. And it's taken me a while. I've been really focused on sort of being the best possible manager, creating safe spaces, uh, all, all of that the stuff, which I, you know, spent a lot of time practicing. And and really, in, I, I can sort of say is, is sort of in the last years, four or five years, I've sort of started to really spend some more time on 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 the other side because I've gotten a, a, a clearer understanding of of what that means. You know, when I was at that, uh, you know, in, in a publicly listed company, having to present to the board what we were trying to do from a technology perspective, that that sort of thing really sort of, I think, made it clear how important it is uh, uh, to to secure that as essentially as a part of creating the right environment for, for the engineers underneath you. So I, I think it's also a, a transition as I sort of have gotten more experience and have grown, I've sort of started reaching out a little bit more. I'm also a little bit cheeky in that respect. So I generally usually say, you know, the, I get, I, I, I usually say I get uh, feedback from my boss once a month 
Um, I look at my bank account and if there's more money in it than the last month, then he probably still appreciates what I'm doing and I'll just keep doing, uh, keep doing my thing. So I can be a little bit cheeky in, in, in the managing upwards in the sense that I have grown, I think also more confident in, in, in the fact that my decisions are the right decisions. And obviously, and sometimes I, so I, 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 I feel I have a better judgment of when I can just go do something. And when I need to sort of, uh, you know, run it by the management team or, or run it by other external stakeholders. And I think that's, it's it's made uh, it's made it a little bit easier um, than than maybe earlier in my career when I was a manager and and uh, much more worried about uh, about those things. Okay, then I would say uh, just to like you know counter here, I would say to me it's always been I've never been afraid to talk to the big guys. So I remember it was like maybe I was one month in or two months in other media. I was already at the board of directors presenting them a project I wanted to do. And trying to just convince them why is that important, trying to like back it up with some numbers that they would love. Because of course, if you have a CEO, you have a CFO sitting at, at the board, you show them some numbers, it already like highlights that there is an issue. So I was never afraid of that. And you know, that might be okay. I'm young, I'm bold, I'm I'm an Aries, you know, so I'm kind of like, you know, all those things together. But yeah, like, you know, I was never afraid and it always has worked in terms of me being respected, me being listened to, me being then tried to like, you know, put to to those responsible tasks around where, of course, you know, to some extent, okay, fine. Like, why why do they want this from me? But then I'm saying, no, I wanted it. I was there, you know, I, I, I came to them proposing a project, not them to me. So then like um, s- stuff like that, I, I really then I think it builds up this confidence of then you can talk to anybody and doesn't matter if that's a CIO of a, you know, like a, like a big IT organization who is already like coming to, to everything that I'm about to say with a little bit of reservation. If that's a CEO of a you know huge, huge company here, or if that's an e-commerce manager of a small or like fairly small fashion brand. I can just talk to them. I can just say, why is it important to listen to what, what I got to say? Because down the line, it's going to help them. And this is like the, the whole point that I'm trying to make. So I think like in this, I, I, and maybe that's just me, that's just natural, but I had this easiness. I was never afraid to say, and I never really cared what the title of the person uh, that I'm speaking to was. It's more like what they can do. How can they uh, speed up the process that I'm coming up? So it's more like like that. But then of course like working with the team is another is another thing. And I'm not gonna spend so much time about it uh, on, on that one because here I just wanted to to give the 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 point about going upward. Yeah, I think uh, if if I am just uh, comment on one thing here is the um but when you're in a in a group of, of C level people, you have your uh, your CEO, your CMO, your CFO, uh, and also your um, your head of sales. Typically, right? Uh, there, there is an expectation from the business side of things that engineering is something you just do like that. Um, if you have never actually built a product, an engineering product, um, you may not understand all of the forces that are at work underneath, right? The fact that you can build stuff in different ways, and that just because something looks great doesn't mean it's great underneath, right? So, um, so, so, so actually making sure that I set expectations around what we're building, when we're releasing what, and not totally over-promising is an important part of my job, actually. Um, I try to be very transparent about what we built. I try to have a very clear roadmap for the next three months on, on what, we are, what we're doing. We basically do quarterly planning. Um, and I try to communicate that widely internally so that everyone knows that these are the priorities and why. And I also try to update the uh, population, both the um, engineering product population, but also the people in the sales organization and the marketing organization about what's coming, when, and where are we now, and if anything stalls, why? Right? Because if I don't do that, then you know there would be this perception that either oh the engineering team is just super slow, they don't do their work, um, and um, uh, that's that's counterproductive, right? So you need to basically create a sense of understanding of why does stuff take time um and and um, and that's actually quite an important thing to do yeah i mean i think i i i wanted to sort of add i think it uh, i think i would not be where i was if i was afraid of speaking to to people at the high level i've just always cared more and uh i think it, it's taken me a while 
to get to what I was talking about before, to get to the place where I feel the management team is my primary team and the engineering team is some is some people I lead. I think that 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 honestly took a while. I was uh, I, I I was sort of more interested in in you know being a part of the of the of of the day to day work of the team um at, at that level so i think there's there's a trend for me at least there's been a transition over time um to really sort of embrace that uh, th- that th- that way of lead of of leading now i i really just lead and i don't really do the the, the participate in the active day-to-day work in the same way um i don't think i mean i agree i don't think you can be a cto without sort of leaning into the uh, communication upwards and 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 that that side of the job um but uh, so yeah, it is. I agree. It, it is important to like say like like what what how Cora illustrates. If they say nothing, it means they are they are just slow because they are slow. It's not that there is something going on that takes time and it's following the plan that's made. So like you know, I I also seen that like a couple of times where I think it was uh, also back in back in other media with with Seher. I don't know if you guys know it. Probably the Danes, you know Seher. It's a big tabloid. I think like second biggest or third biggest here in Denmark. And then there was the update of the website, just migrating that to a new CMS and a bunch of other tweaks in terms of whatever uh, ads, uh, inventory and, and more stuff, you know. But of course, like a fairly big development project for, I think, the most earning um, and like one of those like little, little coin boxes that are there in, in other media. The, that That's like the biggest one. That's the one that earns the most. So of course, a huge, huge uh, priority and huge impact. If something goes wrong, the ads are not displayed, the money's going down the drain. So um, then there was tons of issues and like, you know, people who were not even supposed to be involved in the process were involved in the process. And the whole point was the communication was not in place. The team could not really say why they are working on what they're working right now. Who is it for? What is it going to do for the whole project? And then there was tons of stress, tons of like those, you know, mails back and forth, like some crisis groups, whatnot, you know, and down the line, they released on time and all the features worked and, you know, bottle of champagne then popped, but that was easy. The harder, the harder things was to try to say what, like, don't worry, guys, we're still going to pop those champagnes. The ad's going to work. The site's going to be awesome. The the content's going to be there. The user's going to love it. So that's like, you know, to create that link. And just be kind of like a salesman, you know, uh, just like, like Cora, you say like, uh, the, the salesperson is also important. It's kind of like your body in this whole thing, because then they just help you to sell it. I think we also have to sell it. We have to sell what we do and we have to be communicating up and down about what's going on, where, when is it going to be out and what's it going to do. Also, I think you, you hit the nail on that. That's almost communication has to fall both ways, especially as a CTO and to get to the position where you all occupy now. But I know that previous to the this discussion you had a question you'd like to pose to the panel if you'd like to take it away with that well i was just you know i was just reflecting on my own journey and how i've matured as as a leader and i was thinking you know uh, three or four years ago you know someone made the point to me back to the point that i was probably sort of as interested in being part of my team and pushing things forward on a day-to-day basis whether i would prefer to to just to be a leader who you know helps make uh, 15 people 10% more effective in their work by creating the environment for them and, and giving them clear directions rather than sort of being one of of 15 or one of then 16 to, to drive the project forward and where I thought I would add more value. And that, and, and, and that sort of resonated with me along with sort of a realization that over, you know, I'm a geek. The, the reason I'm in technology is I love technology. I love learning about technology. But at some point I started sort of realizing that the books I was picking up and reading were were leadership books and management books and strategy books and more and more. I mean, I, I still uh, uh, I, I still read the other kind of books as well, but I, I just realized that that transition had happened and I think that really unlocked something in me in my confidence as a leader over time. So I was just wondering if, if you guys had similar sort of journeys and, and experiences and, and what your perspective was on that. Uh, yeah, let me take that one first. I think uh, you're on point with that one, and and actually uh, making the leap from engineer to manager is is um, is a shift in mindset, and it's a hard one actually. Uh, when you first step into management, you're tempted to uh, to go in and fix things because typically uh, you're a senior engineer or someone who's been around for a while, right? And you know the ins and outs of the code base, 
and then there's this junior engineer who's now tasked with doing something and you basically put it on him to, to fix it. And you know you can do it like two, three, four, five times faster than he can. Um, so the first thing you have to do is to not intervene. Basically set goals, coach, make sure that that person um, up levels and gets it done because otherwise you will never be able to scale yourself just like you're pointing out, right? You'll be more efficient in the role as a manager where you can set clear goals, where you can create the space for others to actually flourish and um, make sure you have a high-performing team. Um, but it's a hard transition. And 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 um, for me, the I think um, I was always a nerd at heart, right? And when, when I was pretty young, I got a Commodore 64 and just started hacking on that thing and, and started building all kinds of things. And I, I continued doing that um, through my school days and, and then eventually I started studying computer science and continued hacking. But in parallel, I also always held uh, either teaching jobs or somewhat um, managerial jobs like pointing case my first job was also a management job while also coding right um, while i was studying i was i was teaching computer science which is also a huge part of being a manager actually being able to teach stuff and being able to communicate uh, technically hard stuff to people who don't know much about it so i think uh, for me the transition into management was was a little more gradual in the sense that it wasn't unnatural for me to take on a leadership role uh, but obviously it was still rough to 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 not be able to do the fun stuff, right? And there's been so many times where there's been projects I thought, damn, I would love to do that, right? So, I mean, I'm still sometimes doing a little bit of, of taking a little bit of time out to just toy around with the with the tools. I'm, I'm also doing that in my current job. I actually coded over the weekend and just tried to, to, to hammer on some of our tools because I thought it would be cool. But yeah, I don't have time for it. So so yeah, but I, I completely agree with that, Thomas. It's 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 definitely that. The other side, the flip side of it is of course also as a manager, it you drift away from from what was your primary uh, occupation before. And you do need to stay at least a little bit close to the tech in order to be efficient and to be able to call bullshit on on things, excuse the language. But but um you know, you have to know, right? Uh it, when I'm talking to this engineer and he's telling me it's going to take uh, three months to code this thing, is that actually adequate or is it not, right? Um, so, um, I mean, you can't completely give it up, but 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 uh, but obviously, yes, uh, you have to find the balance. Okay, so I could say I'm still at the early stage because to me it's still like the, you know, the duality of still doing stuff but still managing, <laughs> still kind of like getting the dirty, still maybe like, you know, Sometimes even building some 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 small solutions here and there, uh, but I agree to like I can at least imagine that because that in my previous role it was where I was no longer the guy who was building stuff. I was now managing the IT team, the integrations team. I was managing external consultants. I was managing intern like the the marketing team working with the CDP when we were implementing that. So that was like this whole thing. I could do it. I like honestly, I could do it. But then I'm thinking it's not my role, and it's now their role, and my role is to onboard them, which is an important step in all of this, right? Because I could easily say, yeah, whatever, uh, you girls go uh, have some nice uh, whatever, go go have some coffee. I will build those audiences. I will activate them because I just know how it works. But it's it's no longer that because that's not the game. Because I'm not gonna be doing that every day to onboard them was more important for the business. So that's again what we talked about in, at the start. You don't think as you anymore. You think as the business. You think as the as the institution in a way, right? And that's like the, the whole transition aspect of it, I guess. Because that can have a big scale maybe like like in your uh, your, your cases, guys, because you've just been doing that for, for longer. Or can be a, sometimes in a sync, for example, where you just like put yourself outside of even like a super tempting thing that you know you could ace just to because now it's no longer it's no longer you who has to do. I think some great points made. And Thomas, what's your take? I know it's a qu the question that you posed, but it's obviously something well, you've implemented. I, mean, I think it's an interesting. Uh, it, it's it's really interesting because it's not like you know when I had my first management positions and and even back then I was CTO, I had a different approach. You know, so I was probably more like Wojciech. I was more, uh, you know part of the team uh, pushing from from the trenches and so gradually you know over time you move i i, I moved into sort of um cto position and on the on the corporate side i had i i now have the interesting sort of experience of going out into industry in a very very different leadership roles and now coming back to an agency being a cto but being a cto 
in a very different way than I was when I first became a CTO of an agency probably 10 years ago. Um, so I have a very different approach now. So I think that that I've changed a lot. And I, I mean, part of it is just that as you, as Cole was pointing out, you get further and further away from the engineering. And it's a lot easier for me now because, you know, if I tried to build some of our solutions, uh, I, I don't think it would work very well because I've just been, you know, that that gradual sort of, and I still, you know, play around with my own servers at home, and I, you know, I like playing with technology. I like understanding. I have great understanding of data models, uh, of architectures, but but I I no longer code, and that and that's just also happened over time. So it's sort of a, in some ways, a self fulfilling journey in the sense that you used as you spend more of your time thinking about leadership and management, you spend less of it thinking about engineering. Your skills as an engineer deteriorate, and you can either sort of go back. Or you could embrace that journey, and for me, it, it was easy. As I think I said in the introduction, it was pretty clear to me, even at the beginning of my career, that I could get far as a developer. But I realized that I would never be a world-class developer. At that point, I just, you know, had the realization that that I had to find a different path because uh, I, 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 I think I enjoy talking about technology too much to to sort of hyper-focus on 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 code, um, and and so that journey, I guess, has been happening over you know 25 years but it's just the 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 way i engage in a very similar space 10 years later is very different i i just really sort of embrace the 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 strategic leadership part of it much more i don't you know i don't feel i don't i don't i feel less of a need to understand the 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 solutions we build uh, to the clients i by definition therefore i you know i trust the 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 architects that the, the engineering uh, leads more. It also changes the way I lead technological solutions because I now realize, you know, I know for certain I'm not the smartest kid in 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 the team when it comes to these things. So I have to also trust, uh, you know, when when they point at new technologies that that I don't yet understand, and then I need to get enough of an understanding so I can communicate them, as Cole said, so I can teach them. And the other point I I made was in, it was interesting that you said you'd been a teacher because when I was in the nonprofit world, essentially, what we did was teach uh, technology. You know, we wrote some books about technology. We 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 taught technology courses. We did different things. I think that that teaching aspect has always also been a part of 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 who I am, in a sense. And and what what I use also when I because I'm also client facing uh, on the agency side, so I use that aspect as well to try and teach. You know, the limits of technology uh, to be able to sort of say. Um, with some confidence what can and can't be done and and how how it needs to to be done and what the pros and cons are and 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 things like that but so I, so i think i like the perspectives i i i definitely see you know my perspective having changed um i i would much rather now you know the way i lead now is to to essentially appoint some team leads and delegate a lot of what i used to do as a as a leader to them and say you know this is cool you you guys do it um and then, uh, and, and then free myself up to do more of of the the higher level strategic leadership. So that it's cool. So it can be compared in, in I, I think at least like to from a player playing coach to kind of like just coach, right? So you still like you know like in what, what you describe is more like you still you were bowling, right? You were you were writing code, you were building stuff. But then it's more like you now have to do that to some extent, but also lead people. Mm-hmm. Where at some point is. Now you're no longer you're no longer playing. Now yeah. you are writing plays. Now you are making plays. Now you're just like designing how how everybody's gonna play. But you also have to be close to the game, yeah. so you cannot be too far outside of it because then you just call it corrupt plays. Yeah. And this is like I mean, you know like that's how how the sports is something so comparable to what we do because then you have all those players. Then you have all those like you know all the dynamics of it, right? And and, and, and all that. I, I really like, I really love those examples because then it's like um, trying to also like position myself because also like, you know, I'm very fresh at it, right? So uh, just trying to also maybe wait, like see what awaits me or maybe, you know, there is somewhere like this break, like, you know, you guys have taken that choice, like the blue pill, maybe there's a red pill somewhere, you know? So just trying to also anticipate that, but it's super interesting to hear that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, listen, I've seen I've seen a lot of people have success with still coding um, and and managing. I don't think that's sort of necessarily. I, I think there's just different things you can do. Then you know, there's different parts of the job you can embrace, and and 
than that to a certain degree. I mean, I like the coach analogy because I also think there's different types of coaches. You know, there's not just player coaches and coaches. There's also coaches that you know uh, are very geeky about the 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 X's and O's, as you call it in basketball, and and really think about the details. And there are other coaches who are probably more on the human side who sort of really think a lot about how do I unleash the innate talent in the team and spend their time in, in, in that direction. There's also different ways of coaching. Um, so, and I, so I think I, I kind of like that analogy. Um, uh, so that, that's, that's interesting. And I don't think there's, we could make another episode about uh, just about like, uh, NBA analogies in the, yes. in the, in the business. I, we have like an audience of three, but yeah, we could <laughs> make it about football and a fiction with the, um, the UK of it behind it as well. Uh, we don't know football. The analogy you put forward, I think it's applicable to sports. Yeah, I think it's applicable course. to any sports. And I think some of the points you're putting forward, it's interesting to hear that that's applicable to you in your position as well. Yeah. Just on that note, you mentioned, you know, if you're a player coach, how important do you think it is if you're a CTO to have technical background? I would that's say, actually, I think, um, I think as a, when I hire managers, uh, ideally I grow them from within, right? And, and find talent that, that shows leadership skills. And then I overlevel them and put them into manager positions. Uh, that's ideal because now you come in with them with an understanding of how you build code. You know the ins and outs of how everything works, um, and at the same time you you also know what are the challenges, right? So if you can also communicate that both to the external parties, you can be a, an umbrella for your team and you can basically protect them, which is what you need to be able to do. I feel like if you come in with an MBA and nothing else, um, you might be able to talk to the business, but you are going to be completely lost when you talk to engineers. You have no chance and you can't basically tell what's real from what's wrong. Um, so I would say go go the technical route and then into CTO. Don't go the other way. It's not going to be efficient. Okay, I have a quote here about that, which is the counter argument. So there was the article I read, which was uh, the, the title was the cavalry um, captain who would not ride a horse. And this is more like a, this is like what we also see sometimes that there's somebody non-technical who takes on a technical team and just aces it because understands all other dynamics better than they do, but they are acing the tech. So it's more like, you know, you have all those great troopers who are doing awesome job in terms of all types of all types of IT stuff. Let, let's be very general here. But then there's somebody who's never written a line of code in their life, but doesn't need to know it. Just needs to know what it does, how 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 is it done, and where to put it. And I think that's like the other aspect that we see sometimes, which is of course in in, in the counter argument to what you've been describing. But then lose it. I mean, it's still it's still happening. We still see that. Yeah, I won't say that it can't happen. I will also say that that the the skills you come in with, um, in order to be an efficient manager of any kind, you have to have a lot of people skills. Otherwise, it won't work, right? And so, obviously, you can come in with great people skills. You can also be nagging and drilling down and and being a person who can who can dive in and 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 try to figure out if if things are real or not. But I'll say it's a lot easier if you have you've been around for a while and actually done the the tech work yourself. That at least that's my impression. I think. I, mean, I think. I to me, to some degree, I think I would have answered very differently five years ago or ten years ago. I think to me now, I think the 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 place I need the tech the tech background the the experience is in the managing upwards that we talked about earlier. It's in the setting of expectations. It's in the discussions, and it, it's really in the trust. So I, I you know it's to some level building trust with the other stakeholders that you know what you're doing is is important. Now, if you are in an organization where that trust exists anyway. So if you were to come in with no tech skills and you get the trust of say the board or the CEO, it probably would be doable because I really do think now it's much less about my technical skills when I manage the team. And it's much more, uh, obviously, you know, in, 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 in the case of being in an agency, we also have client facing roles and there's, there's a whole consultancy side that I don't think you can do without having a, a technical background, but that's not necessarily part of the CTO role in a classic sense. So I think in that sense, what it gives me is it allows me, because I can talk about technology, it allows me to build the trust that I need from the from 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 the other stakeholders. And you know, so in that sense, if you were to enter an organization where that trust was was not dependent on that, sure. I I, I mean, probably that 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 would be fine. I mean, I do think there's a part of what you're saying, Cole, that that uh, you know, um, and engineers. Uh, <clears throat> Can be a, a, a 
uh, uh, different breed in some sense. And and having you know been one and being a geek, uh, you know, allows uh, some sort of empathy, which I think is 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 important as well. But I, again, I think other people can have that. You don't have to be necessarily have been an engineer. So I think there's some 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 truth to that. Also, well, thank you for answering that one for me. At this stage, I usually ask, is there anything else you'd like to ask the other members of the panel or anything further to add? Yeah, like what would be the advice from the, let's say, two senior CTOs to a very junior CTO on like, you know, how to, how to, how to just like keep on going, you know, because that's like what, what interests me. Like I've been doing some jumps in in my career. So is there a next jump or is it what I'm with or like what to expect? This is just probably some maybe somebody listening to it could have a similar similar question at the at, the, at this point I, I would say that um, another set of leaps that you can go through is when you start managing larger and larger teams right and I think you can be a CCO um, for a very small company and have maybe 10 engineers uh, or, or five or something it's very different from having 100 people under you uh, as, as you transition in and you, and you start growing and managing more people, uh, figuring out how to grow your organization and build out your organization is a big deal. Um, and there you you go on that journey of stepping more and more away from the code. And and, and as Thomas is pointing out, of course, it becomes less relevant, right? Uh, but of course, you still have to understand the product in some detail in order to go out and talk technically about it. And so I would say that, uh, I mean, always seek out new opportunities. One of the things that, that, um, that I have always used as sort of a measuring stick in order to figure out whether an opportunity is worth pursuing or not is, of course, it should be relevant, but does it make me uncomfortable, right? If I feel slightly uncomfortable about it, it's probably because there's something to learn here. <laughs> and so, um, so, so that's that's how I've been sort of uh, moving myself along a path of of uh, ever increasing responsibilities, um, and and that I think is a is is worth pursuing, right? More responsibility and uh, and and growing basically in, in in size of of management is is a huge learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I agree to that. I've I've also always, I mean, to me, I've never done career planning. It's always been opportunistic, but I think I have a similar perspective. I always look at the learning curve and say, you know, is there something I can learn here? And that can be for different reasons. You know, is there some people in the management team I'll be working with that I have, you know, that that I really think I can learn from? Is the, is part of the, you know, the challenge itself uh, interesting? How can I expand you know, what I know and what I do. And then I think, you know, managing managers is is sort of that that step, you know, once you sort of transition into, in, into sort of uh, thinking about how can you affect the team through another uh, the tier, essentially, how can you say, you know, hey, I'm the CTO, you're the engineering manager, I'm going to step away from that level of the team and let you deal with that. And once you sort of try exper experiment with that and try different things, that scales, you know, once you do that and you know how to do that, you can suddenly handle the uh, larger teams. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, at least to me is just, you know, is this just remember to have fun and, and, and remember to do, you know, stuff that you like. And if an opportunity arises, feel whether you think it'll be fun and, and a teaching experience and then go for it and then see where that takes you. There's also nothing, you know, I've, I stepped away from being a CTO to be the director of e-commerce at Bang & Lose. There's nothing, you know, holy or secret about the title or being C-level. You can have, you know, I had a much more intense learning experience stepping into a director role after having been CTO because it was a much more, it was a very different role. There was a commercial aspect to it. It was also just a very different type of organization. So the learning was 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 different. So I also, you know, think it, it's not it's not necessarily a one-way slide to just having more and more people uh, people under you i've had uh, m many more people under me than i have now i think what i what attracted me here was a different uh, set of possible learnings and experiences so i think there's there, there's also that yeah yeah thank you and i'll also like you know i don't see that as a um, like ever going hockey stick right they're gonna be changes life is unpredictable and all that it was just more and thank you thanks for sharing all, all those all those thoughts it was just more about like you know what to expect so when that when is or when is this breaker where you really transit from player to to the coach like where when when is that in in the year one in year five like when, when to really expect <laughs> i don't think yeah. it's a year thing right it's more of like it's when you take on that responsibility level where you you realize that you can't sit and code anymore and now you are effectively a manager of managers and you have a large organization that you have to 
be responsible for. And then you take on that responsibility and understand that it's about relations. It's about making sure that you you set up the, the right team structure, that you coach your managers, make sure that they're effective, that they can do their job, you unblock them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, I, you know, you can be 5, 10, 15, 20 years in, and you can also be 20 years in and never get there, right? Uh, and maybe that's fine because not everyone should be a CTO. Uh, people, Some people are actually way, way better not moving into to management and um, uh, are, are efficient there, right? Um, management is not necessarily a thing that, that everyone should do. The worst thing you can get is someone who doesn't want to be and, and then is a manager. So, um, and and management is not better than not being a manager, right? But both are super important functions. Uh, so. And I think also to me, you know, the, the, the experiences, the breadth of the experiences that help me now in my role as manager are, are I, I, you know, you couldn't have written that down in advance. It's not just manager roles that have, that have, that I use, you know, it's, it's, it's other work I've done as well. And there's no way you could have sat 20 years ago and gone, then I'll do this, then I'll do this, then I'll do this, and then I'll have this perspective. So it's also in that sense, I think just to echo, uh, again, you know, it, there's no, I think that the, the big transition comes when you manage managers in a sense, because then you get so far removed from the details that you have to realize that you're actually managing people with expertise areas that are outside of your own, even in a technical domain and where you can't, uh, you uh, there's no point in, in, in getting involved, you know, um, at that level. So I think that that's probably the, the one, uh, switch that, that, that could be interesting and you, you know, you can do it and start in, in smaller teams if you have the right talent and just, you know, start delegating more and more. Um, I mean, and you don't want to get delegate so much that you get bored. Uh, that would be bad. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure your boss will make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. It came on a client. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for that. Even more great insights on, you know, you were perhaps junior in the position or not spent as long as these guys. Some nice advice in terms of things to expect and anticipate on the journey. At this stage, I'd just like to thank each one of you for some amazing contributions. And if you'd like to join us on a future episode, please reach out to me on LinkedIn at Connor Leyland or email me connor.leyland at evolutionnordics.com. Thank you for your participation today and thank you for listening.